Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill, and joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. Uh, we are back here with, uh, we took a break, but we're back to our Clubhouse Conversation Series. This week, our guest is going to be UCSB coach Andrew Chekets. Uh, We're very excited to talk with him. The Gauchos uh, have been to the, the postseason three straight times. They're coming off of a Big West Conference Championship this spring. Uh, and again, look to be pretty good uh, as, as we look towards 2023. So an exciting time for the Chos. And uh, Joe and I are are going to be excited to, to talk with him here as, uh, you know, fall is is coming around here. It's the end of September. They haven't quite started, you know, team practice out at UCSB, uh, owing to the fact that they have great weather and they can go a little later. But for those parts of the country that kind of need to pick it up and finish before it gets too cold, uh, you know, we're, we're really seeing fall ball step up into, into high gear. There are games starting to happen with a lot more regularity every weekend a, a, a much fuller slate on uh, saturdays and sundays uh, and really expect that to continue for the next month october is the kind of the uh the the perfect point for uh, for fall games across the country yeah we're definitely on the i would say the the front edge of the bulk of fall ball now right i mean the the teams that go really early which is typically the teams in the, you know, north of Mason Dixon line, if you will, they have to start early for weather reasons and what have you, but you know, they're, they're still going, um, and don't wrap quite yet. And then the teams that go, um, kind of in the middle have now started, we've got more fall games happening and, and yeah, we still are waiting a little bit on the West coast, primarily, uh, some deep South, but mostly West coast, uh, to get going here. And, to your point, uh, why rush? You know, um, you know when 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 you're in Santa Barbara, uh, weather is just not a not a factor there. So they they can kind of take it at a little bit of a more leisurely pace uh, to to get going there. And and I think there's probably some advantage there, right? I mean, I guess it depends on how you slice it, but you know, I think there is some advantage to you know you have a late fall period, and then you're really only talking six weeks or so between the break of fall practice and everybody getting back together after the holidays. So you can kind of minimize that there. I guess the, the flip side of that is, you know, you, you start late with the fall, you've gone a really long time since your players have kind of been together. So I, you know, again, depends on how you slice it, but um, it is an advantage to be able to choose when you do fall practice, as opposed to being in the Midwest and, you know, basically saying we have to start as soon as we get back on campus, because we can't really trust that, the weather will be hospitable if we go into October or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, and everyone kind of has their own feeling about this. Some coaches really want to get in there and right at the start, especially new coaches want to, you know, see their players as, as much as they can early. And they're, they're just different philosophies, but yes, generally it, it kind of breaks down on the, uh, 
on the weather there. And uh, to that point this weekend, uh, unfortunate for anyone in the uh, in the southeast portion of the country is Hurricane Ian, as we uh, record this, I think is making landfall now. So hopefully everyone in Florida stays safe. Uh, but the uh, the the rain from that is uh, going to going to affect a lot of games this weekend and um, probably a lot of rain outs uh, to be expected. But uh, primarily everyone uh, there on the, the west coast of Florida, hopefully that uh, uh, that that passes without too much incident as uh, as Ian makes its landfall. Yeah, it's uh, I. Growing up on the on the Gulf Coast, I, hurricane coverage is just kind of was always a part of my. It was just this time of year. It was always something that's never too far from your mind, and and so like I've kind of been, I'm kind of fascinated by it just because I again I, I grew up with it and you know had some seminal moments in my life. I was in high school when Katrina hit New Orleans, and Hurricane Rita uh, came to Houston not long after Katrina, which made everyone kind of. A panic because they'd seen what had happened at, at Katrina and was its own kind of catastrophe for Houston with, you know, people being stranded out on the highways stuck in the storm because they couldn't get out of town. Like, it. so there's some, definitely some seminal moments in my childhood related to related to hurricanes, but yeah, watching the coverage uh, of it today, it looks like a, a just a, a really nasty storm could be one of the, you know, I think I saw something, one of the 10 or 12 biggest in the history of since they've been measuring this kind of stuff. And so hopefully everyone is, uh, that we know there. Hopefully, everyone on the, the west coast of Florida is, you know, took the warning seriously and, and got out and and did all the stuff they needed to do. It's it's. I think people make assumptions about you know if you're in Florida, you're kind of just this is part of life, and and that's true if you live in South Florida, right? If you live in Miami, it kind of is, you know, just part of the deal, right? You know that every you're going to have at least one kind of scare just about every hurricane season, and every few years you're going to get something that that hits you a little bit, but. Um, you know, that side of Florida doesn't get hit as often as you might think just looking at the map. And so these are, these are folks that haven't really had to deal with a lot of this. So my, my thoughts are, are certainly with them because, you know, I've, I lived through a number of them, uh, living in Houston as, as long as I did. And they're just, it's, it's scary. You know, you, you see, there's this kind of weird anticipatory element to them where yes, they're, they're better than tornadoes, I guess, because tornadoes pop up kind of out of nowhere. So there is that suddenness to it, but with hurricanes, there is kind of this weird anticipatory stage, which yes, can help you get a little more prepared, but it also does create kind of some indecision where you day after day, you're like, are we staying or are we going? Or what does it look like today? Which, which way is the storm moving? Is it, you know, strengthening or is it maybe weakening? Like all of those factors play in. And so it, it is a, a weird deal to be tracking one of those coming at you. So um, and the, the, the early videos and photos today look like it's, it's been a real, um, a, a tough one. So, uh, thoughts with all those folks down there and, and hopefully a couple of days from now, we, while it is soaking the Carolinas, uh, hopefully by then the, the Floridians will have been able to start to work their way out of it. But, but yes, to, on a baseball point, it has kind of, I know certainly it has put a damper, uh, no pun intended on uh, my weekend plans. Uh, there's been some cancellations already here in the Carolinas. And I presume just about anybody who was going to try to get on the field <laughs> for, for scrimmages or fall games or what have you this weekend in this region is, is probably going to uh, think better of it in the end and, and understandably so. So um, not the most important thing, obviously, um, but certainly a consequence of um, the big storm that we have coming through. Well, as we uh, as we continue to uh, keep uh, keep everyone in Florida in our thoughts, we'll uh, let's head out west to Santa Barbara, where weather much less of a concern, pretty much at any point in time, but certainly uh, this weekend. And we're going to uh, get to our interview here with uh, with Coach Andrew Checkets here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Today on the Baseball America College Podcast Campus Conversation Series, we're excited to be joined by UCSB coach Andrew Chekets, the Gauchos, coming off of a Big West title in 2022 and their third straight appearance in regionals. Coach, uh, another great season. We're uh, we're glad to have you here uh, on the podcast today to talk about it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Well, let's uh, let's start with that 2022 season. You've had a few months to reflect on that now. So, when when you look back at at the way the way the spring went, just what are your thoughts about uh, about what UCSB was able to accomplish this year? Yeah, it was a good year. You know, I, mean, I think uh, 2019 we set the school record for Division One wins, and we were close. We had that in our sights. Uh, at some point, we didn't get there. Uh, I think we're a game or two off of that, but I think anytime you're winning 40 games on the West coast, you feel pretty good about it in the end. We'd like to be able to push through a regional and, um, and, and get to a super and beyond obviously. Um, but felt like the, the guys did a lot. We had a really, we had an older group, um, you know, as a result of COVID, I think that was, you know, maybe one of the older groups that I've ever coached here. Um, with COVID and the draft and all those things. So we had some super seniors and it was fun. It was fun. It was a fun group. Um, senior day was tough and emotional when you've been with some of those guys five or six years. Um, you know, before that, when the draft was 40 rounds, you just didn't have very many seniors. Um, so uh, it, I, I thought the guys did a good job. I thought they performed well. They, I, I hadn't picked us to win the conference based on, Losing Boone and McGreevy and Cole Cummings and Caston on and McLean O'Connor and some guys like that from the year before, I thought um, I thought it might be a little bit tougher for us um, to get into the postseason or to win the conference. But the guys, the guys really did a nice job. Um, you know, offensively, Dongle and Coach Urban really really did a nice job developing that group and um, set the school record for home runs. And um, so I, I, I think. All in all, it was a positive year. I think you, you talked there about losing guys like Boone and McGreevy. And so I think people, you know, might have gone into the year thinking, okay, a little bit of maybe a step back there. And, and maybe that was the case in terms of experience and stuff and, and some of that, some of those things. But then you look up and you've got Corey Lewis and Mike Gutierrez and Ryan Gallagher. I mean, those guys were like a metronome every weekend, just boom, boom, boom. What kind of luxury was it like to have those three guys be as good as they were and stay as healthy as they were, right? Just being able to take the ball 15, 16 times from beginning to end. And those guys really did a nice job. And going into it, we just, we didn't really know if we had a an ace. Um, you know, the year before, it felt like we had two with Boone and McGreevy. They were both both pretty interchangeable and I think could have thrown on Friday for a lot of people. And um, so we felt like maybe we had some depth on the mound, but weren't sure about the top end of it. And Corey's ability to you know, take that next step and take the reins on Friday, um, you know, really set the tone for the weekend. And, you know, they're frankly good recruiting, um, you know, by, by the assistants bringing in that, uh, you know, Saturday and Sunday, you've got a JC transfer, uh, and Gutierrez, and then the freshman Big West Pitcher of the Year, and, and Ryan Gallagher. And, you know, those guys were both part of that recruiting class. And for them to step in, and I think they won almost 20 games between the two of them, 
um, in their first year, you know, division one baseball, that's, you know, that's hard to do. And I think it's pretty impressive for those guys. And, and like I said, a good job by, you know, the, my assistants bringing in, bringing in the right guys. So, um, they were consistent and solid and, um, gave us a chance and, you know, we swung the bat and, you know, we're able to you know, cover some of the shortcomings that maybe we had out of the bullpen. You said you didn't have this team pegged as a, as a conference champion coming into the year. What, what were some of the developments, I guess, that, that they were able to make that allowed them to, to make that climb? The rotation, like we just mentioned, was one of them. So having Corey turn into an ace, you know, Gutierrez win a lot of games on Saturday, Gallagher, um, those guys being able to step in and, and give us some stability in the pen. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, offensively, we, you know, we lost, we also lost Zach Rodriguez, who was a freshman All-American the year before. And, um, so all those guys we lost offensively, the top part of the order, it was, we didn't know who we really were going to go to and who's going to, you know, hit, hit in the meat of the order. But Christian Kirtley had a, you know, breakout year and hit 10 homers and um, Kyle Johnson had a, you know, a career year and his, his you know, I think, fifth year here and, and hit in the middle of the order for us. Um, you know, and, and Jordan Sprinkle, who was supposed to be the guy for us, didn't have an amazing year offensively. And, um, so I, I think we had a lot of other guys that, that ended up, you know, picking up some of that slack. Bryce Willits, Nick Boat had a great year, you know, and, and you know, Bryce and Nick and, um, you know, Kirtley and, and Kyle Johnson, you know, those four guys the year before weren't real major contributors for us. Um, and so they were able to step in and fill in and, and do a nice job. And, and uh, I thought the offense had some balance. We led the conference in stolen bases and home runs. And um, we, were able, we were able to score a lot of different ways. And, you know, obviously, you know, Donegal does a great job with the, the offense and the hitters. And I thought they, they really, you know, they, they performed to their – capabilities for sure. You mentioned Sprinkle and he ends up being a fourth round draft pick, which I believe is the highest drafted position player you've had while you've been at UCSB. And if I'm reading the UCSB record book correctly, and which is no guarantee Joe reading things correctly, but highest position player drafted UCSB since Chris Valeka in 2006. Um, what were evaluators seeing in him that made him a special player, even in a season to, to your point where he, he didn't necessarily have as consistent or as, as good a season overall as he had the year before. What, what were the evaluators seeing in him? What made him a special player? Uh, he had the tools and the tools to play shortstop and you know, the foot speed, the arm strength, the, the range, the ability to, to stick it short in professional baseball. And I think people saw that he could, you know, be a, a major league shortstop defensively based on the, the tools that he had. Um, the run tool was really good. He led the conference in stolen bases I mean, two years in a row. Um, you know, and offensively, he's plenty capable. There's no question he had a down year last year, and I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, him being famous for the first time and the pressure of, of you know, trying to live up to the expectations of what he did the year before and the, the draft coming up. Um, and so I think that affected him offensively. And when he got to a slow start, it felt like he was really spinning his wheels, trying to get back, but, you know, the tools were still there. So obviously that's why he still went in the fourth round. And, you know, I think if he had another year, like he would have the year before, you know, he's back end of the first round or, you know, in between the first and second round, if he, he performed at a higher level on it. Um, so he's got, he's got all the tools to do it. Um, but again, you know, so he wasn't a super high profile prospect coming out of high school. He didn't play his first year for us much. He wasn't penciled in to be a starter, even his second year. And then the way some injuries he ended up taking over and then just ran with it. So I, you know, I think there was a little bit of added extra pressure of that spotlight that he just hadn't experienced before. Um, but he's a, he's a really, you know, a toolsy player that's got the ability to play you know, shortstop at the, the major league level. There's just not a lot of those guys in college baseball. This was the third time, uh, third straight time that you guys advanced to regionals. That had never happened before in uh, in UCSB program history. Just what do you feel like the keys to that consistency have been? I know that it spans four years because of the 2020 season, but 
what what has made this program the consistent regional program that it has become? I mean, it starts with recruiting and the players. I mean, there's no, I think, you know, as coaches, it's, you want to take the credit for <laughs> everything that they do. I wouldn't say, oh, let me re-say that. I don't know if you want to take the credit, but sometimes you get it. But they, the players have to go play. They have to go perform. Um, and, it, you know, it starts with having, you know, having the raw tools. And so I, I think we've had some good recruiting classes, maybe a little more under the radar uh, recruiting classes over the last couple of years that have been been good that you know they carried us the like i like i mentioned earlier you know gutierrez and um and gallagher those guys came in right away and you know instantly made a, a big impact and we've had you know, freshman all-americans carter benbrook and zach rodriguez and um so we we've had good players come in here so i, I think it starts there um and you know being able to to that, you know, even we brought in Brock Mortensen, who led the conference in home runs two years in a row out of a JC. And so when you're getting guys that are ready to come in and make impacts like that, I think that helps. Um, our offensive philosophy has changed and adjusted with, you know, when Donegal and, and Matt Fontino came in in 2019. Um, you know, they, they made a big difference to how we play offense. Um, and you know, the, the, the damage that we've been able to do at the plate. And if you look at our, our home run totals, the, you know, the last three full seasons and, you know, on base percentage and slugging percentage, um, they, they're, that's really changed and, and improved. And so we, you know, we, we picked last year, I would say we pitched. Okay. I wouldn't say we were amazing. I think we pitched. Okay. Um, but when you're, playing offense through the way that we played offense the last three years. And it, could, it covers some of those holes uh, that you have on the mound. You're able to win and you pitch just okay. Um, and so we, you know, we've really been, really been able to play offense at a high level. You know, what, what Donald's been able to do um, with the mentality of those guys. And it's, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to be in the dugout last three years in regionals you've it should be said you've gotten extraordinarily tough draws stanford last year arizona the year before those teams got to omaha in 19 you were at stanford and that was a team that just joe's opinion would have gotten to omaha had they not run into you know what what they ran into um on the way there so that's part of it here but i'm curious what you think the kind of the next steps are for your program now that you've you've kind of established this standard are there commonalities in those eliminations of, of ways in which you think your you know your program needs to, to improve to get out of a regional and back into supers and, and back to maybe even omaha like in 2016 and what what would those next steps entail i mean you you hope with the consistency of getting in that you can push through that you have, you have guys in your dugout that you know, their, their eyes aren't as wide when they get there. And it's, you know, I felt like in 2019, we went up to Stanford and it was, you know, it was the first time we won the conference in 30 years. And it felt like, you know, it felt like we went up there and it was a celebration parade. Um, we just couldn't get our feet back on the ground and focused on where we were at. And I, you know, I didn't do a good job with getting them directed into, Hey, we need to be here at the regional and we're on a mission. And um, so that was a pretty quick, uh, exit that we made on that one I thought in 21 thought we played well we showed up we were on a mission you know play Okie State twice um, play well against them we're competitive against Arizona who ends up in the you know in the World Series and they were just better than us you know you look at that roster and, uh, and lineup and at their place that was going to be a tough one for us to to get through um, so I you know I <laughs> It sure would help if we had a Cy Young Award winner and two big leaguers uh, on the on the roster because that's when we went to the World Series. That's what we had. We had a Cy Young Award winner on Friday and Kyle Nelson out of the bullpen for us, who's in the big leagues, and Noah Davis threw on Saturday for us. We just got called up to the big leagues um, last week, so um, you know it feels like you need to be able to you know, really minimize uh, runs. And I know that sounds obvious, but um, it's hard to expect that you're going to slug your way through a, a regional. Um, you've got to be able to pitch. And 
So I think for me, that's, that's where the, the next step for us is we've got to pitch better than okay um, to, to get out of a regional. We're going to have to, we're going to have to give up one or two runs against a good offensive team, um, you know, in a game or two in a regional to be able to, to get through it. And so I, I think we're on track for that, whether that's this year or the next two, I don't know, but um, we have some good young, young arms that, that we like, that we think have a chance to, to do something like that. And I think, um, you know, and even the 21 with McGreevy and Boone, you know, Boone goes out and beats Oklahoma State. And McGreevy's not super sharp, but throws in a low scoring game against uh, Arizona. And then we, we slug against Oklahoma State and then, you know, hold them pretty, hold Arizona pretty close. But that felt like our closest shot in the last you know, three regionals was that year with that, with that pitching we had. As we look towards the fall now, uh, what has you excited about working with this team now this fall as, as you start to build towards 2023? I, I've been impressed with the recruiting class. Um, now, we're, ju we're just in skill work right now. We haven't scrimmaged yet. Um, we haven't had a team practice yet. So, you know, right now it's just, you know, bullpens and, and mostly offensive and some individual defensive stuff. So, um, but, uh, you know, we've got pretty physical group, um, really projectable young group. I think our, our sophomore and freshman classes are, uh, have higher ceilings than, and no offense to our older guys, but I think they have higher ceilings from a professional prospect standpoint than maybe our, our junior and senior group, uh, groups do. So uh, I'm excited about those guys. Um, you know, Tyler Bremner is a freshman for us, and you know, he was somebody that was on the, the a lot of draft boards and priced himself out, and he threw his first bullpen, and I looked over at Dylan Jones, who helps me with the pitching, I go, somebody should have given him $2 bucks because it, it looks real. Um, I know that's a lot of pressure after one bullpen, so, um, but it's, it's, it's been a, you know, we've got a couple of good shortstops out of the group, which we needed. I like the the arms and high-profile arms in that freshman group. Uh, some transfers that look like they've got a chance to come in and and make immediate impacts um, offensively and defensively. So, I, you know, I feel good about that younger group. We've got, you know, we've got to find a Friday ace. We need, you know, Ryan Gallagher or Mike Gutierrez to, you know, turn into a legitimate Friday guy. Um, you know, one of a couple of those young guys, those young freshmen need to figure out, you know, how to how to take over a game and be able to throw on a, a, a Sunday or Tuesday for us. Um, and then I, I think we I feel like we have enough offensive pieces. Shortstop was obviously is a question with Jordan. And, you know, we lined a bunch of bodies up there on the first day and hit ground balls at them. And we, get, we need somebody to stick there. So but we feel like we've got three or four guys that are physically capable of being able to do that. Um, we liked our freshman group last year. They just didn't get on the field for us a lot because we were so old. Um, so Xander Darby and, and Jesse Brown and Latre McCollum and um, a couple of our other guys that, that we really liked last year, um, you know, they're going to need to step into some of those roles. And so we feel like the catching position, we might get a little bit more offense out of that than we have the last few years. Um, there's a little bit of work for those guys to catch up defensively to the two guys that we that have caught back there, Bloom and, uh, and Ang, who were, you know, defensive first catchers. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about the group. I, I think we, I think we'll look good getting off the bus. I think uh, we'll look good in a showcase setting now and figure out if we can actually go play and, and, and play the game. And so that's the question with some of those younger guys is, you know, they're going to be able to go out and perform and be ready to do that. And, um, so we'll see. You've alluded to it a couple times, but last year's team, 78 home runs, uh, not just leading the Big West, but also a UCSB program record. Uh, to what extent do you expect the 2023 team uh, to be similarly physical? Yeah, we've got, you know, we got 25 home runs back between Kirtley and Mortensen. Um, and Mortensen's led the, led the conference in home runs two years in a row. Um, currently hit 10 last year. So we feel like 
back in the middle of the order. We have some, you know, a couple of established guys that can hit it over the fence. Um, I, you know, I like the physicality of the couple of the transfers that we brought in. I, as I mentioned before, I think those those young freshmen that we had last year, Xander Darby hit seven home runs as a freshman last year playing, you know, half the time. Um, he's got a chance to be a double-digit home run guy. Um, our, our two catchers, Aaron Parker and John Newman, both are, are have a chance to be offensive and are physical and can, can hit it over the fence. So I, I feel like we've got some some pieces and we've got some guys with some power. Um, again, it's just been skill work, you know, an off machine and one, you know, and a, and a BP arm. So um, we'll see what they look like when we start spinning it and, and, and they're facing live, live pitching. But um, I think the raw tools are there and I feel like we're probably more physical than we were last year um, offensively. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I think there's some pieces there for Donegal and Spencer to work with. And, uh, I, you know, I think that, I think they've got a chance to be able to, and, you know, we haven't had a 25 Homer guy in there or anything like that. We've been, the power has been pretty consistent up and down the lineup. So it feels a little bit like that again, where we've got, you know, we've got some guys that can, a lot of guys that can hit five to 10 home runs. Defensively. Uh, that's kind of been a calling card for the program over the years. Where do you feel you're at? I mean, you, you have to replace couple guys up the middle which which won't be easy but how do you feel that stacks up now entering the season um you know nick vote was a plus defensive center fielder we've got a couple guy younger guys that were running around out there that you know we think can run like nick um need to see a little bit more of them um jesse brown's somebody that we really like he's physical and and runs uh, played a little bit last year. Um, you know, he, he just—he's a catcher, center fielder, so sometimes there's a little rawness out there. So I, you know, I, I think the outfield should be similar. I think the infield—it's really—I think we'll find somebody um, that will play third. Bryce Willits was a plus defender last year, so you know Xander Darby could end up at, at you know short or third or second base. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably likely that it ends up on the left side at, at shorter third base. I think he's probably professionally profiles more as a, a third baseman, second baseman. Um, so I think in a perfect world, we'll have one of those incoming guys that maybe as uh, a step ahead of him defensively play short and he'll end up in one of those other spots, but he, he is competing for that job. So we've got, you know, I think, the deep, our best, better defenders at shortstop might be a little bit light offensively. So we might be in a situation where um, we've got two incoming freshman shortstops, Corey Nunez and uh, Chang. Um, that those those two guys, you know, Corey reminds me a little bit of Clay Fisher uh, defensively, really good actions, hands, um, plenty of arm. Maybe not the runner that Clay was. Um, it's going to be, you know, he's a little underdeveloped physically, so it's going to take a little bit of time for him to, to really be able to do damage offensively, but he's, um, a plus defender. So there, you know, there's a scenario where we, you know, we play him and hit him ninth, like we did clay, um, early in his career and just, just go with the defense. So I'm not sure exactly how it all shakes out, but we've got, you know, we've got enough, uh, Jonas Sebring's a transfer infielder, um, Nick Oakley played for us last year. We've, we've got a lot of guys that we think are capable. It's just going to be a matter of how the pieces all fit together and, and what position that they they play. But I, I feel good about you know our ability to to play that if we can we can shore up the the shortstop position. So we will start to wrap up here by having a little fun with our last question, as we always do. And I will, I will remind you, Coach. Last time we had you on, we were we were asking coaches for their favorite sandwich, to which you answered fish tacos, which I thought was the perfect Santa Barbara answer. Um, that is one of my favorite answers we've ever gotten to that question. But so we'll do a little something different this time. Uh, Saturday is October first, so we we are officially into kind of the Halloween, the spooky season, if you will. And um, so our question is going to be about Halloween candy, and so. Let's say you get a, a big old bag of Halloween candy that, you know, you're going to pass out or what have you, or, you know, the kids bring home their bags from their trick or treating or whatever. 
Uh, what candy in that group is Andrew Checkett's most likely to kind of sneak out of it to keep for himself as opposed to passing out or letting the kids have? I don't discriminate. If it's got sugar in it, I'll eat it. <laughs> so, yeah. Fair, I, fair enough. I have, pro- I have a problem. Uh, Mike and Ike's would be my favorites. Um, my kids will tell you that they hide their candy. So and they don't, they don't hide it from each other. They hide it from dad. So they bring it home and they know, you know, if I've had a stressful day and I get, I get home, I don't, I don't grab a beer. I grab the Mike and Ike's. So, um, so they know they've got to hide it and they've got to, they have to find a new hiding spot every year. Cause eventually I'll, I will, I will find it. So. Yeah. Just that, that their stash continues to disappear and they, they know something is, is happening. So are you, you're a, a fruit candy guy over chocolate, would you say generally? Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's no question. So I used to crush the licorice in the, the dugout. Um, but I, I tried to get off of that. We had a couple, we had a bad bullpen year and I was pounding way too many of them. So I, I, uh, I've done better at trying to avoid that. Yeah. Well, admitting that, admitting that you have a problem is the, is the first step coach. That's, I, uh, that's, I have that's... a problem. There's no question. <laughs> there are worse vices than licorice. I feel like. Oh, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, yeah, and Halloween's coming up. So the kids better, they better be on their game because they're running out of spots in the house. Yeah, that's right. Get, get on it now. Check it's children. You got to start figuring it out now before right. dad's going to sniff it out. Well, we, uh, we really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time today to join us here on the podcast. The, the shows, uh, look to be a, an, exciting team again in 2023 and we're going to be uh we're going to be looking forward to seeing how they uh how you guys look out on the field next year thanks guys really appreciate you having us on and all the work you guys are doing your coverage thank you again to coach andrew checkets for joining us on our clubhouse conversation series here on the baseball america college podcast joe the uh the shows are not in the never too early baseball America top 25, they were definitely considered. They were a team that was pretty consistently in the top 25 throughout 2022. Uh, but I guess as they deal with departures of guys like Corey Lewis and Sprinkle and, and Vode and, you know, the guys that, that we talked about there with, uh, with Checkets, um, weren't quite ready to put them in the top 25. But that being said, I fully expect to see them ranked. I expect them to be the, uh, the big west favorites this year at some point you're going to see them in the in the top 25 and this looks like a very good team again yeah they're really approaching that kind of space that um trying to think of a good comparison east carolina east carolina's graduated from this but there was definitely you know a, a time when east carolina occupied a space where yeah i don't i don't know what they're necessarily going to be, but I think they're probably still the best team in the American. So they're going to be ranked, you know, so it either means we rank them or they're just outside on the outside looking in. Now, again, they've, they've kind of graduated from that, you know, they're, they found another level, but you know, even um, late era Fullerton. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Fullerton at the end, uh, I would say Southern miss, although right now they're obviously in a new conference and we're kind of trying to feel out what this new Sunbelt is, but uh, Southern Miss the last several years in Conference USA has felt pretty similar to, to this once they overcame what whatever Rice was uh, right. winning year after year after year. Uh, once they fell, Southern Miss kind of took that spot, and, and I, I view them in a similar spot. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call. Uh, yeah, I mean, Fullerton's – I say that because for a while it was – the Big West was waning and Fullerton was waning, but they were still the class of that conference at the time, and so you just kind of were like, well – I like them to win the conference. The difference is, you know, Fullerton also had that magic where once they got in the postseason, it kind of was like they found themselves. And 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 UCSB still kind of working on that. We we talked about that with Coach Check. It's about, you know, that next step because yes, they, they did get to Omaha in 16, but you know, since then, you know, they they've not been able to get out of a regional. And it should be said, they it's not like they were hosting these regionals, right? I mean, that you by just by definition are not expected to come out of a road regional, but still they have to be disappointed to have not done so with some really, really good teams. And so that's um, kind of the next step here. But for now, yeah, they, I mean, UC Irvine had a really good year in 2021 and kind of, you know, took the league there. But at this point, you know, Santa Barbara is this 
is the class of this league. And it shows in the results, obviously the postseason appearances, and it shows in the players they bring in. I mean, they are a right now, I think it's safe to kind of say that they are a machine at bringing in the right kinds of players and developing them. And, you know, whether you look at Jordan Sprinkle, a guy who didn't play as a freshman very much and just kind of popped in 2021, or you go all the way back to a guy like Shane Bieber, um, you know, they, they just have a way about them now of recruiting the right guys. Their recruiting classes are good, but they're not, you know, they're not top 25 type classes on an annual basis um, and turning those guys into real gyms. Um, they are operating at a really, really high level. And that's why they end up getting the benefit of the doubt that we give them. You mentioned the recruiting class. Coach Checkett's mentioned that he liked the recruiting class. If you were paying attention to our top 25 uh, show or if you read the what I, what I wrote about all of those classes, you'll know that UCSB did not rank in the top 25. I did strongly consider them. And if you look at baseballamerica.com this week, you'll see the top 25 or the top 10 classes, the, the 10 classes that just missed out on being in the top 25. And you will find UCSB there. He mentioned Bremer. Uh, that's kind of the, the highlight of the class. That that was a guy that um, ranked inside the top 120-ish of the, the BA 500. He's not the only high-end player that, that UCSB has coming in. He's kind of the, the star of it. But they have several other players that, that you can look at there. Um you know, they, they have junior college transfers that, that can help them immediately, like Jared Sundstrom, who hit like 20 home runs this summer in the Cal Collegiate League. Uh, and is coming off of a, a really nice junior college season and also is a BA 500 player in the 400s. Um, but they have other you know good high school players. It's a good overall class. And I think it's, you know, like he said, that they have higher upside than some of the players that are currently on the roster. So now it's a matter of, turning those guys into the next UCSB stars. And that's a staff and, and obviously check it's chiefly that, that knows how to do that. Um, but that is kind of the, the next step here. And they, they will be asked. I, I think these newcomers will be asked to help right away because there are some players that they're losing some very key players, but they are also, uh, you know, poised to be able to make that kind of immediate impact as freshmen or, or, or transfers. Yeah, I think some of the secret sauce, and this ties into conversations that we've had the last several weeks in particular, part of the secret sauce this staff will have to continue to apply moving forward is, you know, how do you kind of keep this going um, in a world where the transfer portal exists? Um, just because one of their specialties has been, um, you know, guys who are role players or don't play as much early in their time and then kind of pop late. And if the guy truly is under recruited, then I guess you probably don't have as much to worry about because they won't be all that famous. But as they start to play in some areas where like with this recruiting class where they are bringing in some guys who are kind of famous, um, you know, obviously it becomes a challenge to hold on to those guys. I say that to say though, they are really set up in a pretty good position where some of the stuff that is kind of maybe, uh, helps on the periphery can kind of add up to putting them in a situation where, look, I mean, no one is immune from losing players. They were, it should be said, had Jordan Sprinkle not been drafted where he was, and we kind of always knew he was going to be drafted where he was, but in a scenario where it didn't work out for him, he was headed to Arkansas. So they are not immune from all of that, but they do have a lot going for them that I think can work in their favor when you consider that they like are- in Santa Barbara. Key, correct. Key component chiefly. here. Being yeah. in Santa Barbara. Yes. Yeah. Do, do, your, do yourself a favor and just do some Google mapsing and look at the pictures there from Santa Barbara. And actually just as a meditation technique, while you listen to this podcast, just like lean your head back and just imagine you're in Santa Barbara and it's 77 degrees outside and the sun is just kind of, you know, coming down on you and you're getting that the vitamin D from the sun. And maybe you got a cold drink in your hand, alcoholic or otherwise, you know, and, and you're just kind of enjoying the, enjoying the weather. Um, just make that a, make that a little meditation, but yeah, so being in Santa Barbara helps, and especially when you're recruiting locally, right? Um, they mostly still recruit locally, um, so that that is obviously helpful. It's also just that the brand is pretty strong now, right? I mean, this is not a like you you could have looked at the the successes of 2016, right, and getting Domahan kind of looked at it as like, okay, yeah, great story, but that happens. 
But now there's so much proof of this is what this program does. You do have a strong brand association kind of baked in there, which I think can help keep players there because they know they're going to get an opportunity to play in the postseason, to go back to Omaha. Um, they see players like Shane Bieber. So it's an opportunity to be a big leaguer here. So all of that stuff, again, is can help on the periphery, but you kind of add it all up and they end up having a lot going for them. So it's, it is going to be a challenge because of the way they recruit and because of the way they develop. That is always going to be a little bit of a risk, but I, I do think it is a program that's uniquely set up to play defense a little bit on that kind of stuff. There's also something to be said about what does the Big West mean going forward? And I mean, we've had this conversation on the podcast before. I mean, we had it with Andrew Chekets like two years ago to an extent. Uh, we didn't get into it today. I'm just like a little burnt out on that conversation right now. Um, but there, there is something to be asked about like, okay, what is what is the Big West moving forward? Um, and how does that impact them as they try to do things like win regionals? Uh, because like you said, Joe, if you're not in a home regional, you can't be necessarily expected to win it. Like the bracket does not suggest that you should win a road regional. Um, but with getting getting to host is one of the key ways that you win regionals. So that's something that they have to work for. And how does the Big West hurt or hinder or, or not hurt or hinder them from such a goal? Like that is something that you have to look at going forward, but they can only control what they can control. And, you know, they're where they are as a program is in a great spot. And if programs like UCI and Hawaii and Northridge and Fullerton, like, are if they are able to continue their upswings, then you know UCSB will be in a in a position to benefit from that uh, because they have they have the advantage right now. They are at the top. They're what teams are chasing, and the way they're recruiting is um, is very impressive. It's it's a big part of all of this. It also should be said just the fact that Andrew Checkets is still at UCSB is really significant here. Uh, because it's not for lack of opportunity necessarily to talk with bigger programs like in the Pac-12. And he continues to to want to stay there and grow the program. And that is one of the biggest things UCSB has going for it right now and into the future. No doubt. And, you know, I think there are a couple of factors there. One is it's just kind of who he is, right? Like he he's, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I think he was pretty blunt about this when we had him on a couple of years ago that you know, it is just a lot of, he likes it there. He wants to be there. His family's comfortable there. Um, you know, he can walk on the beach to work basically, you know, I mean, there are just a lot of benefits to that. And, and so part of it is just who he is, but I also think don't, I would say don't overlook. I mean, we, and I'm guilty of this too. We look at sometimes UCSB specifically, but the big West generally we define them by what they lack, right? They don't have the cachet they had in 1995 or 2005. Um, they don't have the facilities of the PAC 12, much less the facilities of the sec, right? They don't have necessarily the recruiting classes that again, the PAC 12 has to say nothing of the sec, but I would say don't overlook. He, he is comfortable there. Yes but he is also competitive enough and successful enough at this that he would not just stay there. I'm confident to stay there. Um, if he wasn't also sure that he was getting what he needed and was supported and felt like he could compete nationally at UC Santa Barbara. Now, some of that, again, to go back to 2016, he has proven they can do that as is, but I don't think he's sticking around just out of obligation because his family likes it. If it weren't for the fact that he was being supported and maybe not in the outward ways you would expect. There is no, you know, $60 million stadium expansion uh, underway at UCSB, for example. But he, I have to assume, we have to assume, he's being supported in ways that, that we can't necessarily see um, that give him confidence that, hey, this is a program that can continue to grow, can continue to get better, and isn't going to become stagnant because they rest on their laurels. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. They they have had some upgrades since uh, since the World Series. Maybe not quite as many as you might expect, uh, but they they have made some upgrades there. And you know, not everyone can be Binghamton, right? <laughs> not everyone in the in the low major or mid major world can can put a sixty million dollar stadium together. Uh, but they don't need it, right? Um, you have to 
remember just how much talent is in Southern California that they have pretty ready access to. And, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I, I will be interested to see how the rest of the big West, you know, moves around them and, and how they work to stay at the top. But as long as he's there, as long as they're recruiting the way they're recruiting and he's a very good recruiter and a very good developer of talent, uh, I would expect them to remain one of, if not the best program in that conference. So, um, you know, this year, it's going to be a little different, um, but the players that they have to replace are, you know, I don't want to say they're replaceable. Obviously, they are, you know, every college player is replaceable. That's kind of the nature of this, but they're also not trying to replace Shane Bieber, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, that if they were able to move on a, a year ago, that what they were and, and go out and win the Big West in 22 I feel pretty good about what they need to replace and then go out and try and win the big West in 23. No, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, last year was such a big year, I think for, and this is going to be, this is going to kind of be myopic, but for me and just my perception of UCSB last year was such a big year in terms of changing my perception of kind of what they can be year to year, because let's not overlook the fact that this was a team that was led by Boone and McGreevy two years ago. And and what he said is correct. Those guys could have pitched on Friday for a lot of teams, including some in the sec and ACC and uh, you know, just about anywhere. And I kind of wondered going into last year, like, okay, so that's, that's cool. Like they had those guys and you know, they had Shane Bieber back in 16, but okay. Like that, those are the kind of guys that this program has proven they can bring in and develop, but you can't maintain that standard every year. Like you, you can't, and, and here they were with a team that with a rebuilt rotation and losing Zach Rodriguez, who along with, it was kind of a one, two punch with Jordan Sprinkle is two of the most dynamic position players in the big West. And you go into last year kind of with those questions and they go 27 and three. And like, I don't care how watered down the big West may have gotten from teams they've added and teams just that aren't as aren't what they used to be like 27 and three is 27 and three with a rebuilt rotation and Jordan Sprinkle not, frankly, not putting up the numbers that he was expected to put. I mean, things did not go perfectly for that team last year. And yet there they were. And again, I, th- I think that really does kind of, it it kind of changed the way I think about their trajectory. I always knew this was a really strong program. I, I thought they were going to be what they, what they are, but you know, if they had been just kind of okay last year and finished third in the big West and, you know, had gone 18 and 12 and didn't make a regional and, that would have been like, okay, that was a decent year, you know, rebuilding and maybe 23 is more like what we're looking at, but they, they did the opposite of that. Um, so just really impressive stuff. And I think that to me, that sent a signal about what this program can be and wants to be. Last thing I want to touch on uh, UCSB wise is uh, Mike and Ike's and, uh, and, and licorice. Um Mike and Ike's not, not my choice necessarily, but I respect it. And then I also love the idea of like bad bullpen or tough bullpen decisions you got to make. Uh, what, what are we doing in the dugout? We're, we're, we're eating a bunch of licorice. I, I, I loved, I loved all of that. Yeah. <laughs> same. Like licorice is such a good, a good option for that though. Cause like when you're straight, you can kind of like gnaw on the licorice, you know, you got to like rip it off. You can't just like bite through it. You've got to kind of rip it. And then you have to chew it for a while. Like it is a good, like get your frustration out kind of, kind of candy situation there. So that's, that's a strong thought there. Not my, I'm not really a licorice guy, but if it's there, I'll, I'll take it. You know, um, I love Mike and Ike's. Here's the thing though. Like I have recently gotten away from fruit candy kind of, um, Mike and Ike specifically it's as, as, as the listeners probably know, Mike, Mike and Ike's very sticky. They, they stick in your teeth for a long time. So for someone like me who uh, has bad dental genetics, um, you know, I've always, you know, I've always, dentists are very familiar with me, uh, no matter how hard I try, uh, just the g- genetics aren't there for me is, is what I've been told. But um, so I, I try to stay away from that. But also whenever you have fruit candy, whether it's Mike and Ike or Starburst or Skittles, uh, what have you, like you have to kind of be prepared that your, your mouth is going to taste like that fruit candy for like the rest of the day. Like it is hard to kick that flavor out of your mouth, no matter what you, you know, you drink water, you try to, you know, refresh, unless you're going to go commit to brushing your teeth after you eat it, which dentists probably tell you is actually probably a really good idea. Um, 
like it's just it really lingers with you in a way that I just I got to a point where I didn't I didn't want to deal with that anymore to say nothing of the fact by the way I have more thoughts on this than I thought that if you put fruit candy in a bowl with like mixed company in terms of the candy the chocolate candy will start to kind of smell and taste faintly of the fruit candy so I, at the very least if you're going to do it you need to my advice would be it's one thing if it's just Halloween night and it's just a, you know, that's not going to be in there long enough to make a difference. But if you're going to store it to eat it later, you got to separate your fruit candy from your chocolate candy. That's how you're, that's a pro tip for you right there. If you really want to make the flavors of each of them last. I mean, so I think that's probably definitely true of like Starburst, but like, is that really a problem with Skittles? Like, well, like probably not because like the they're in the Skittles plastic package. Yeah. That shouldn't be happening. Yeah. That's, that's probably a good point. I, yeah, I don't know. Play it safe is my take. Why risk it? That's fair. That's you don't fair. want your crunch bar to taste vaguely of Mike and Ike and Skittles, you know. I I I think that's a that's a fair way to look at this. <laughs> um, okay, so I mentioned UCSB was on that list of ten classes that just missed. Um, you know, there's some SEC classes in there, a bunch of ACC classes, frankly. A uh, couple that I did want to call out here quickly, Joe, one is uh, Rutgers. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Rutgers on the show over the last few years, but I feel like, you know, obviously they had a kind of breakthrough season this year and missed out on having the big, big breakthrough very controversially um, via the selection committee. But the way that they're recruiting I don't think anybody should be doubting what Rutgers has been doing under Steve Owens, but if you were the way they're recruiting really should be indicative of the fact that this is a team that has a pretty high trajectory that, that they're going to continue to, to hit. Um, So I, I think that that class stood out to me and then Jacksonville is on there and uh, JU did, uh, you know, very quietly had a great draft. They had, uh, three players at one point that were committed to them among the top 500 draft prospects. They're getting two of them to campus. And, uh, you know, if you look at the profiles of them, they're both pitchers. You can kind of understand, like, why they're there and why pro teams didn't uh, buy them out. But the point is they're there. And, you know, anything you said about UCSB and transfer portal obviously applies to JU as well. But also, you know, you're in Jacksonville and you're in Florida and, it's a team that's been to the tournament and, you know, there, there are things that JU can sell to you to, to keep you there. And, uh, you know, they're, the fact that they're there now is, is really significant. And um, we have no idea what the A-Sun really is going to be moving forward, especially as Liberty prepares to exit. But uh, I, I think that's really encouraging for, uh, for JU, obviously. Yeah, I think a couple things there. One is I'll echo what you said about Rutgers and just say that, you know, take lightly what Rutgers has done so far at your own peril. Like I have a sneaking suspicion that Rutgers baseball and what we think of Rutgers baseball is going to be very, unless, unless Steve Owens, you know, gets some sort of opportunity to coach elsewhere, you know, which, which we'll have to see. But I mean, like, as long as he's building and doing what he's doing there, I think Rutgers baseball is going to be thought of very, very differently in short order. And also schools like Michigan because I have a high level of confidence that that Tracy Smith uh, keeps the standard high there. Schools like that aren't going anywhere in the Big 10, but it is kind of crazy to think that in the not so distant future like the Big 10 might go through Maryland and Rutgers. Um because right now Maryland is operating at as high a level as anybody in that league and and what Rutgers is building is is really really impressive. So there's that. And then JU, yeah, I mean that's that's impressive stuff. It's a program with some history there. Um in the fact that they're pitchers, I think is huge. Um, you know, I don't have to tell our listeners that, you know, you get a position player to campus and like, even if he's a real stud, like, okay, he's one of nine hitters in your lineup and that can only mean so much, but having a couple of pitchers like that, um, whether they end up being starters or key bullpen guys initially, or one of each, whatever it is, you get a little more mileage out of those guys. And in a pitching centric league, like the a sun, um, just ask Stetson, they look at Stetson's best years and look at where they were really strong. Um, that can make a big difference. So that will be a fascinating one to watch because I think if those two guys really hit and hit's not the right word to use there, because hit is something you actually do in baseball. If those two guys really pop for JU, I think it could be a real difference maker for a program that like, yeah, they got to a regional a couple of years ago, but for a program that has 
fallen a little bit behind in the ace on the last several years, last couple of years, at least in terms of the actual regular season results and is, is looking to pop back up. All right. Before we get out of here today, I, uh, we, we have to acknowledge that this is not just the end of the episode. This is a little bit of an end of an era on the baseball America college podcast as uh, Joe Healy. This is, this is Joe's last episode with us. And Joe didn't want to make a big deal out of this um, because basically like baseball America and the podcast is bigger than both me and Joe. Uh, they were doing college coverage before either of us were born and the podcast predates us both. And it d- definitely predates Joe um, Not that it doesn't predate me as well. Uh, but still we uh, we've been doing this together now, Joe, since uh, I guess since 2019, I went back um and i i listened to like a little bit of the first episode that you and me and dave serrano did um and then i listened to a little bit of the first episode you did after you moved from durham and uh do you know who the guests we had on that first episode when you moved to durham was i think i could actually come up with it um i'm gonna guess paul costacopoulos and chris sabo uh, so that's two of the first three. Costi was, I think, your second episode. Chris Sabo was your first episode. And that was a right. joint episode. But we put Sabo with Gary Van Tall. Oh, uh-huh, yes. Boise and Akron were launching or relaunching programs uh, in the spring of 2020. So that <laughs> that's how far, how different college baseball has Jeez, been just yeah. at the time you've been here. That Boise... Uh, no longer exists as a college baseball program. And Chris Sabo is no longer the Akron coach after restarting the program just in, in 2020. Yeah. If there's a baseball America college podcast curse, that is probably the most uh, damning evidence that could exist out there is that uh, I said it once I'll say it a thousand times. We really should spend some time examining the idea that Boise state put a lot of work into restarting a baseball program. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, we're like, eh, all right enough of this just moved on like i you know i i wasn't in the room when the decisions were made but like man that seems that seems abrupt anyway we don't we don't need to get into it again but every time it comes up i just want to mention it again that how crazy that is it is it definitely is and also gary fantal was uh was really into it like great interview like i was excited about boise baseball after that and uh we got like 15 games of it so well that's i mean that's the thing too is that here we are and like, let, let's say goodbye to Joe. And it's like, let's really get into Boise state baseball real quick. Um, I don't know what a better way to say goodbye. You're to right. Boise. No, it's actually a great point. It's a great point. The thing about Boise state too, is that one, they had players transfer all over the place and continue to play well. And secondly, like if you talk to the small handful of coaches that actually got a chance to see them, like they, to a man tell you, like they were, they were pretty good like that. They would have been good. They were onto something there. So it is just kind of a bummer that now maybe that could just be that, you can recruit players a little bit in that first season because they can say they were part of something like recruiting in years two, three, four, and five are a little bit harder. So maybe it wasn't going to be always that maybe the trajectory wasn't going to be as linear as it looked on paper. But I will say for that first team, there were a, a lot, there was a lot of positivity out there about the way they performed in that short 2020 season, but yeah, Texas. I, well, that's what I they did. They, yeah, they did play Texas. Well, they absolutely did in really cold weather in Austin. I feel like they were probably right at home. I think I remember that being a thing that it was really cold that weekend in Austin. Um, I will now engage with what you actually said um, so that you don't have to transition me back into it. Uh, yeah, this is, this is the, uh, it's the last one um, more to come from me on, on what's next, but you'll see me around. Um, I am not disappearing. Uh, so there, there is that. And, and no ill will, I think on either side, Teddy and I, Teddy and I uh, guess what we'll remain friends. So how about that? Um, so, so that will be the thing. Um, but yes, it is, it is at the end of an era. It is the, I think the singular thing that I will miss most about my time at BA, this podcast partnership has been the most fun thing about the job has been the most rewarding thing about the job and has been just kind of the thing I've thought probably singularly thought most about like, between just the individual episode prep, but also like, how do we want to do this? What silliness do we want to do there? Um, some of the bits and nonsense that we do is off the cuff. A lot of it is, but some of it, I'll be honest, is stuff that I'm like, hey, it'd be kind of funny if we talked about this. Like, so there was some thinking about stuff like that as well, but it, but it is because we've had so much fun doing it. So 
Um, I have nothing but gratitude and appreciation for BA. They made a dream come true for me to make covering college baseball my profession. And I will always be incredibly, incredibly thankful for that. Um, I, that, that will, that will never be taken away. I will always have the, the warm feelings for them for that. And, and I'll, I will miss, uh, miss the group here who, are, when it comes to what they do specifically are the best, um, at what they do. Um, and that will continue to be the case. Um, as much selfishly as I would like to think that like, I am the nexus of it all, you know, it's like the, the missing piece, but, um, jokes aside, um, anyway, so yes, this is, this is the end of an era. I want to thank everybody who's listening, uh, for listening during my time here. Uh, please continue to listen. I have no doubt Teddy in whatever form this podcast takes moving forward is going to continue to be incredible and well done and thoughtful and interesting and, and, um, informative, all of those things. Um, so don't, don't, uh, don't jump ship just because it is changing a little bit. It's going to continue to be something really incredible. I am excited to become a listener once again. Um, that will be really cool to be able to do that again. So, um, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now, so I will go ahead and, uh, play, have, be played off. Like I'm in some sort of award show here. I can hear the music in my head. So, uh, thank you again to BA. Thank you to Teddy. Thank you to you, the listener um, for, for this ride over, you know, three, almost four years, um, that we've been doing this. So uh, I appreciate you all. And I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. Well, we really appreciate, uh, you as well, Joe. I mean, the podcast, what, like it does predate you predates me. Uh, but I think that this has been a very fun version of it. And the fact that we kept it going through the pandemic, like I find to be like immensely satisfying. Like that was, that was big for us. I, Hope it was useful for the listeners as well. Um, and I don't know how we would have done that or how I would have done that without you. So uh, definitely appreciate everything that you have done for the podcast, uh, especially editing it, because uh, now I have to go back to doing that. And uh, let me tell you, not, not excited about that part, but um, <laughs> the podcast will continue. Uh, we might have an episode next week. Uh, fun fact, I'm getting married. So a lot of life events happening here. So we may, we may not have one next week, uh, TBD on that. Uh, but if not, we'll definitely be back the following week and we will be continuing the clubhouse conversation series. Got a lot more guys, uh, around college baseball on the list that I want to get through. So we are going to continue that here. So make sure you're subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Whatever your favorite podcast app is, you can find us there. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. And all of the work, written work, uh, is over at BaseballAmerica.com, including this week, the uh, 10 classes, that 10 recruiting classes that just missed the, uh, the top 25. So you can check that out again at BaseballAmerica.com. Thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.